of like the Rolls Royce of Milford for cheese making. So some of the best cheeses in Australia, in sorry, in, in Europe are made from sheep milk. So if you think of things like Osserati and of course Roquefort, which is the famous French blue, are all made from sheep milk. Hello, welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazie Her podcast telling the stories of women from regional and rural Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to take a moment to say the Grazie Her summer issue is on sale. It's such a stunning issue with many of the stories featured meandering around the theme of friendship. I think that's probably what makes the Grazie Her community stand out for me that rich sense of connection and friendship which binds us all. I can't wait for you all to see it. And featured in the issue is today's wonderful guest, Cressida Keynes. Cheese and its sustainable creation is Cressida's life work. Cressida and her husband Michael craft award-winning, sumptuous sheep cheese in the Southern Highlands, each bite offering an expression of their farm's entire ecosystem. Cressida was the state winner of the 2020 AgriFutures Rural Women's Awards State for New South Wales and the ACT, and was recently announced as the national runner-up for her project Dairy Cocoon, an online education and connection platform for dairy farmers. Named after the Italian word for sheep, Pecora Dairy boasts Australia's only working pure East Frisian ewes, the most productive breed of dairy sheep in the world. However, this isn't a fourth generation operation. The Canes traded their corporate life for greener pastures in 2011, swapping Sydney's traffic blare for the bleating of lambs along the way. After university, um, I started working in the wine industry. Um, I started working for a company which was then called Southcorp, which had all the big brands like Seppelt and Penfolds and Rosemount and Leo Buring and all these incredible old brands um, that are really the kind of history of the Australian wine industry. And it absolutely captured my imagination. Just the the stories, I suppose, behind those old brands. And I was working in a time in the early, in the sorry, late nineties and early two thousands when uh, companies were, um, you know, they for for a start they would let our staff travel around to all the wine regions, and I would go and we talk to all the winemakers and you know just to be in those incredible sort of vineyards and look at these old vines and I was fascinated I was fascinated by um, the science of of, uh, fermentation and how you made wines and also the association with food I was working with a lot of the big restaurants in Sydney particularly Mm. in the city so that time of sort of food and wine and the collaboration of it all and the art and science of it was just just absolutely wonderful it was just really I really found my place there I suppose that was actually where I I met Michael as well Michael was um, my husband was working in the wine industry when when I first met him Um, and yeah so we 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 had a lot of this fun together when we were you know pre-children and going out to restaurants and um, you know we knew all the chefs and all the sommeliers and it was just it was just a super fun time it was super fun time in in Sydney around the Olympics and you know there was a real buzz around the Mm. place it was Um, And then uh, we became pregnant with our first child, Hugo, 
he was about one and I really felt the pull to move out of Sydney was probably really me pushing for it more than Michael because he he then moved to um, to Fairfax and uh, had a really sort of promising corporate career. But I was really, really pushing to move out of Sydney. Uh, and we found a little farm um, about uh, an hour out of Sydney and it was, it was only 10 acres. And that's where I sort of started having, had a beautiful veggie garden and chooks and ducks and all sorts of things. And then I had a great passion to have a milking animal. So I got a house cow and um, she had a couple of little calves with her and that was okay for a little while, but we just didn't really gel. Um, and then I had a couple of dairy goats. I just couldn't deal with them. They were just not my cup of tea. So they ended up in the freezer. And then I got the idea of dairy sheep. And we eventually found some because they're, they're not sort of the thing you can just buy off the shelf in Australia. There's not that many dairy sheep. And yeah, it was, a, it was the sheep that really sort of stole our heart. And we had uh, a few on the property and we started making cheese on the weekends. And Michael, he's, he's got a really science-focused brain and he was really taken by the whole uh, cheese-making process. And so we would basically... I would, he was working in Sydney, so I was pretty much um, by myself during the week and I would milk these, um, you know, six, six or eight ewes um, and I would have my, my little guy, my little babies with me and I would put them on a, you know, on a milk crate and I'd milk the first ewe really fast and then I'd give um, a jug to, <laughs> to the babies and so they would stay still <laughs> while I milked the other, other animals. And then I would freeze that milk. So with sheep milk, you can freeze it and then you can unfreeze it and make cheese which you can't do with with cow's milk or goat's milk yeah. actually um so we started making cheeses in our kitchen we just got more and more passionate about it and more and more into it and we thought could we really make a business out of this could we possibly a find the land b build the dairy and the infrastructure and c actually create cheeses that we could could sell so so i had the um I was driving out to Robertson one day for, for something and I thought, you know what, this is where I want to be. I want to be in Robertson, this driving out and these incredibly huge gum trees with their roots in this deep, rich soil. Uh, and it's a, it's a really old dairying district here. You know, it's really, uh, you know, what, what once was a, a very much a thriving industry <clears throat> of dairying. And I thought, yep, this is where I where I want to buy my farm. And, um, and I said to mum, my mum, you know, this is, I want to buy a, a farm in Robertson. And mum kind of said, mm -hmm, yep, well, um, that's, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then became the GFC. So we were fortunate enough to be able to, when the, when the property prices dropped and we were able to, to buy a little patch of land um, in Robertson. So that's kind of how we started the journey. <laughs> It's uh, timing really is everything. How big is your property at Robertson? Yeah, so it's it's 200 acres. Um, so by, uh, you know, on Australian standards, that's pretty small. But um, but you can do a huge amount with with a small patch of land. And, and um, you know, this is incredibly productive land. So we just feel so very grateful that we're sort of custodians of this gorgeous 
we're actually where we are on top of the escarpment in Robertson is actually in what's called the Yarrawa brush, which is some of the only cool climate rainforest left in Australia. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, and if you, you've probably seen on my Instagram feed, we have a lot of this incredible mist that comes through. So, you know, I often sort of wander up the track to find the sheep and call them in for milking. And it's the most beautiful things of watching them come out of the mist and um, amble down to the dairy. So it's very, it's very, very picturesque. Uh, it's very wet. We get about two metres of rain a year. Wow. Um, quite cold, um, but very suitable dairy and country. So dairy sheep, just like dairy cows, really need the very best of pasture. Um, so that's what we can we can give them here. It's one thing to have a, an animal or a couple of animals that you're milking for your family and quite another thing to start a dairy from scratch and to really build the infrastructure around that. What was that journey like? How did you source the sheep and, and how long did it take you to really establish yourself? It really is. And there were very few precedents of sheep dairies in Australia. So what we have created at Pecora Dairy, we've really done all of the systems we've really created ourselves Yeah, there was a point where I sort of thought, is this completely crazy? And and Michael was still working in Sydney a bit and we, you know, we were still tossing up whether we were literally going to be able to make a living out of this. And it was one of those things where there was sort of, you know, I just had to, I just had to start, I just had to kind of start walking through the process of, of literally how you create a dairy and how you build the infrastructure and yards and, uh, you know, the cheesery and rooms and maturation rooms and cold rooms and air conditioning. And, you know, it was massive. It was, yeah. it was looking back on it. I'm not, I guess I just kind of walked through the process and mm. we just sort of really, we made a lot of it up as we went along. We did a lot of research online, but we were at the stage of our lives where our kids were young and we didn't have the opportunity to sort of go and study overseas or you know we had to have Michael still working obviously and I was working a little bit as well and so we just kind of we we just started slowly and started building the infrastructure um, and started breeding sheep so we got uh, we got a core of of East Frisian dairy with sheep we literally started with sort of 30 um, so the history of those sheep is that they, they've been in Australia for about 20, 20 odd years. There, there's not many places that, that actually breed them as milking sheep. So we were able to source all the genetics that came in from France originally. Um, they came in by New Zealand. Uh, and then we've just literally bred them from there. And anyone who's bred, bred animals up off a small base knows it's challenging. It's really, really hard. Um, and I will never forget that first, um, the first milking where we literally turned all the machines on and sort of put the sheep up in the stalls. And, you know, if you think about having a flock of sheep that's never been milked before, (laughs) it was, um, we did at the end, look at each other and think, right. Okay. What have we done? (laughs) But I suppose that made us more determined. We just thought, you know, we have set this up and we knew what we were doing. We knew there was a market for sheep milk cheese. And also just before we became licensed, we actually submitted our blue cheese to the Sydney Cheese and Royal Dairy Show and, um, and won a gold medal. 
and everyone was going, what, what is this Pecora Dairy? You know, where is this Jamboree Mountain Blue? Who are these people? Um, but we did know that we, we had something that was really worth working with and really there was a market for it. I mean, Australians mm. love cheese. We do import a huge amount of cheese, but, you know, we have a, have a great respect for local produce as well. You know, all the health benefits of sheep milk as well is, is something that people are really interested in these days. So we knew we would have a product that was going to work. Yes, why sheep's milk? How does it differ? It's sort of like the Rolls Royce of milk for, for cheese making. So some of the best cheeses in Australia, in sorry, in, in Europe are made from sheep milk. So if you think of things like Osserati and of course Roquefort, which is the famous French blue, are all made from sheep milk. Um, so it's an incredibly dense, rich, nutrient full milk. Um, and if you think of cow's milk, it takes 10 litres of cow's milk to produce a kilo of cheese. Mm-hmm. It only takes five litres of sheep milk to wow. produce a kilo of cheese. Yeah, so it's, um, it is it is the most beautiful milk to work with um, and incredibly suitable for cheese making. The idea of milking a single flock of animals where that milk changes throughout the lactation and as cheese makers we respond to that um, and it's also shown in the cheeses throughout the season is something that's really kind of exciting and has a great deal of integrity to us. I love that idea that the entire ecosystem of your property is manifest in your product, in your cheese. What is the process like in terms of the practicalities of, of milking and cheese making? What does that look like? We always wanted to have a really sustainable business, which uh, we were able to manage pretty much um, with the two of us. We didn't want, I suppose what I mean by that is that we wanted to do a small range of cheese really 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 well that was that was one of the reasons uh we were so keen right from the get-go to produce a raw milk cheese because we undertake cheese making in a very scientific way um, and we have this incredible ecosystem the idea of being able to have all those indigenous microbes in the milk and let those express themselves in the landscape of the cheese was something that to us was just you know, it was fascinating and it was something that we really, really wanted to drive towards. So I remember um, way back, you know, 10 years ago when we first started the dairy, one of our, you know, first or second um, audits with the New South Wales Food Authority and Michael said to um, the lovely lady who we were doing our audit with, so we'd like to, um, you know, what do you think the chances are of producing a raw milk cheese in Australia? And she just said, no, it's never going to happen. And we said, okay, (laughs) no worries. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Challenge accepted, exactly right. Yep, lay it down. That was where we sort of first started working on it, you know, and and it took us when we started seriously working with the New South Wales and Victorian food, food authorities and the scientists that they engaged. It took us over two years to get Yarrower over the line. So that's our raw milk cheese. Um, and it's a completely new category of cheese for Australia. Well, it's the first in Australia, isn't it, to be the raw first raw cheese? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So um, uh, it's, it's a process where there is no heat treatment at all. So there are some cooked curd cheeses in Australia, which is where the cheesemaker will add cultures to the raw milk 
and then they'll make the cheese and, and take the whey off and then effectively heat the curds, which basically sort of pasteurises the cheese. But what we're doing is a completely new category of cheese in Australia, which is where there is literally you take the milk from the sheep, pop it into the fat and add a very small amount of culture and basically let all of those Indigenous microbes and everything that's in the milk really express itself in the cheese. So it becomes what's really exciting is that it becomes unique it cannot be replicated what is what the sheep are milking uh, what the sheep are eating on the day that we milk them and turn it into cheese is expressed in the cheese um, and is a taste of the landscape of the farm for people mm, I'm salivating just at the, this gorgeous descriptions it sounds pretty sumptuous how often do you milk sheep and what's your milking season look like well, we, uh, we generally milk twice a day. So we, uh, that's after they lamb from sort of late July up to Christmas. And then after Christmas, we go down to once a day milking um, and then dry them off in May. So we're very seasonal. It, it's really, it's not only makes the farm really sustainable, but it means that it's, it's the right thing to do for our animals and also the right thing for, for us, you know, to be able to have a bit of a break. What happens is that the the lambs will come along in winter and then that milk uh, following the lambing at peak lactation about six weeks after lambing is incredibly sweet. So it almost tastes like someone sort of put a spoonful of sugar in it. It's really, it's just the most amazing milk, that that sort of first spring milk. And those, that that milk is really suited to our softer cheeses. So things like bloomy and fresh curd and, um, you know, those, those, fresh cheeses where you can really taste the the sweetness of that milk coming through and then as the lactation progresses we wean the lambs so so during that period we actually share milk with the lambs so the lambs will um, be on with their mums during the day and then in the evenings we'll we'll put them in a shed with with hay and pellets and water and everything and then the mums will go back out on pasture and then we'll milk them in the morning and then give their lambs back to them um, so it's a really, it's a lovely process and it means that there's happy lambs and happy mums. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty labour intensive, you know, to do it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that we feel really passionate about for, for the sustainability of our business and, and for the welfare of our, our animals. Um, and then the, the milk will sort of, uh, the solids start to rise later in the lactation and the cheeses become creamier and richer. And then right at the end of the lactation, the volumes drop quite significantly and the solids really rise. So the fats and the proteins and stuff are really, really high, double digits fats. It's really wow. incredibly rich. And the blue cheese is just absolutely sumptuous and creamy and delicious so it's pretty fascinating to think about um, a single lactation kind of changing and then that being reflected in the cheeses throughout that time today's episode of life on the land is brought to you by sky mesh do you need access to fast, reliable internet service at your regional home or business? Join Australia's most awarded specialised rural internet provider that's trusted by over 45,000 Aussies. Secure your free NBN SkyMuster or fixed wireless internet installation today on a no lock-in contract. Plans start from just $34.95 per month with Brisbane-based seven days a week support. 
Make the switch today and access better internet for your home or business. Visit skymesh.net.au and get connected or call 1300 759 637 now. Service availability is determined by NBN. How many head do you run in your mob, your milking mob? Uh, we milk about 150 ewes each year. So, it, you know, it, it, so many people would love to become farmers, but land prices are obviously incredibly prohibitive and it's very challenging to see how to make it viable and sustainable and financially viable. You know, do you see that this is an area where you don't need huge acreage or to have to run huge numbers to be a farmer and to be able to be on the land? Yeah, I do. I think there's a real surge of small niche um, farming enterprises. And I think there's a lot of female-backed small businesses in agriculture, which is really, really exciting. I think women are very good at, you know, taking um, things on a small scale and just starting and then growing them. Um, but there are there are many, many really fabulous small agri- agricultural enterprises that don't need a huge amount of land. And I think, you know, I think Australians are changing the way they eat. They're changing. Um, they really want to know about the provenance of their food and they're prepared to eat, perhaps eat less, um, but perhaps eat better quality. Mm. So I think, um, you know, for Australian agriculture, it's it's really exciting to be able to have these nation micro um, farming enterprises which add you know, a great deal to not only the fabric of their communities, but also the agricultural dollar economy for this for this country. Mm. Do you think that's something you've noticed since COVID? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I certainly think that um, COVID has made us really think about where our food comes from. I think when we all walked into the supermarket with empty shelves, I think people kind of thought, oh, my goodness, do we, you know, what do we produce in this country? So it, it really did uh, call people to um, seek out what was produced locally. Um, and the challenge, I think, now is to sustain that. You know, it's very easy to go back into, into the old habits and just grab the familiar brands and things like that. But, you know, it is, it is a challenge to keep supporting uh, the locally grown produce and, and seeking out those smaller producers who are doing beautiful things. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Though to be devil's advocate, I did want to ask, you know, not everyone can afford premium prices for a provincial beautiful product. So how can we support small and local and Australian and still feed our families on a tight budget? How do we get this balance right? Yeah, I I think that is a real challenge and a, a really something to consider. One of the issues is there are some fundamental issues about what we import into this country and the price of our um, what what farms are paid. So basically with the dairy industry, you know, the cheeses that we import, the dairy that we import into this country, we literally as Australian dairy farmers cannot produce at the same price. And that's because the European farmers are subsidised, whereas Australian farmers are not. 
So there are some fundamental questions which need to sort of, you know, need to be levelled up and, and they're issues which, you know, are just not going to be solved overnight. They're complex, difficult issues. But I think... Uh, and policy-driven from... And policy-driven. Yeah, absolutely, definitely right, which is why we need more women in leadership in, in agriculture, I think. I, I I think that you know we need to consider eating eating less as I as I mentioned before, but also I do see a role for um, things like things produced in a lab. Um, you know I, I I don't dismiss that. I have some concerns about you know how that's all going to play out, which I think everybody does does in Australian agriculture. But I do think we need to be realistic. I mean we cannot all just eat you know the very highest quality. Um, the very niche market products, as you say. So we need to be considering how we're going to how we're going to feed um, feed everybody, and I think that that is part of the story. And we also need to be looking at alternative protein sources. You know, we've talked, you, we've heard about um, insects, we've heard about you know things, uh, you know, potentially kangaroo meat. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of um, you know alternative protein sources, which you know, incredible, clever people are working on which I think in time will become you know more more a part of uh, what we see every day and I think that is that is really right and proper. Before I spoke to you I have to confess I was very ignorant about the dairy industry and its challenges. I knew that there were some very prominent challenges and you can't not walking into a supermarket and see $2 milk and think how is that produced and how is that financially viable for the producers. Can you walk me through some of these challenges and when did the pressure on small family dairy businesses really begin? And what are some of those numbers? Yeah, look, it is a hard one. So the Australian dairy industry um, in 2019 lost 486 small family-owned dairy farms. So that is walking away, shutting their gates, just saying, that's it, I'm gone, and selling up their farms. And that's the largest annual exodus so back in the um, in the eighties, there were over twenty thousand small family-owned dairy farms, and now we have just under five thousand. Wow. So that's it. And once they're gone, they're gone. I mean, once the farms are sold and they're carved up um, and sold off, then you know there's no no going back from that. So. It is something that I'm really seriously concerned about um, looking around the, the Southern Highlands area, as I mentioned, you know, it's such a, was such a thriving dairy industry. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe there was, there was some way that I could come up with, with something that would be of use to the, to the dairy industry. So we're not talking about the large dairy farmers, you know, those guys are fine. And, um, it, you know, there, there is a lot of help out there for them. And for all of those who, who are happy dairy farmers, and there are, there are numerous ones in Australia, and that's fantastic. But I'm talking about the small family owned dairy farms who are really being squeezed by that tightly held retail market. So basically, the small number of processes sort of combined with that tightly held retail market makes it very difficult for small dairy farmers to have any bargaining power. So one way that they can um, uh, change and become a profitable enterprise, if they choose to, if they're looking for an alternative way of running their business, is to transform up the value chain. So that means producing their own branded milk, yogurt, ice cream or cheese. 
And, uh, you know, I think in this time where uh, we are looking for Australian, you know, products and, um, you know, if we think about what we import from overseas, which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of tonnes of, of French cheese and European cheese uh, and butter and, and ice cream. You know, we, we actually import 30 million tonnes of ice cream. It's, it's just extraordinary. <laughs> I know. We have this incredible opportunity, I suppose, for interested small dairy farmers to potentially transform up the value chain. And then the other side of that is that once you are taking back control of your business in that way and selling, um, becoming a price setter rather than a price taker, it means that you can potentially reduce the number of animals being milked. So that then reduces the uh, pressure on the land and also the pressure on the dairy farmer and the, and the impact that are going into the farm. So it potentially makes it a more sustainable business. And this model that you have developed is actually, you know, you were recently, and congratulations, the, the runner-up national winner of AgriFutures Rural Women's Award, um, and you your concept is the dairy cocoon. So walk me through uh, this concept and, and how it is going to help small dairy farmers. Yeah, so dairy cocoon is... Um, was my solution and offering to uh, to see if I could assist with some of these challenges of the dairy industry. So it's an online platform and support hub for small dairy farmers to to formulate a business plan and to find education that they need. Um, and then to get some support from community and mentors. And it was really based on what dairy farmers told me they wanted. So I did a and survey. And what would have been helpful for you back in the day when you first started? Oh, absolutely. Well, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, it was a very closed industry when we first started. And I'm very pleased to say that it is not so much now. You know, really, it's it's much more open and there is much more of a dissemination of in information between people. And that that's really a fantastic thing because really, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. We need to mm -hmm. all help each other. That's for sure. Um, yeah, so the, you know, the Dairy Cocoon has been built on um, what dairy farmers told me that they wanted, what they felt were the hurdles and the stumbling blocks in their way if they were to produce up the value chain. And, uh, you know, just talking to dairy farmers and uh, since launching the website in April, I've had an amazing response from, from dairy farmers. And I know that there's been a huge number of resources downloaded from the website. But, you know, ultimately, if I can help any number of small family owners dairy farms or even plant the idea in their heads for something mm. to think about in the years to come then I feel that I've made a difference because it's a it's a challenging thing change is hard and uh, you know potentially a lot of these dairy farms are generational models and um, you know it takes time to to work things through and to get everyone who is part of the, the farm invested in the idea of completely changing the model and interestingly a lot of the dairy farms that I'm working with are using a model whereby they're reducing their contract um, with the processor and just dipping their toe in the water of making their own product whether that be gelato or bottling milk or you know even moving into cheese making you know but just to that that idea of just starting slowly and small and selling to, to farmers market and just letting it grow from there is uh, you know a really sustainable model. So does the Dairy Cocoon offer very practical insight into things like branding and labels and that sort of a packaging and infrastructure like that? 
It, it does. It does have some resources like that. Dairy Cocoon will continue to grow as more community get come on board and tell me what they want, I suppose. Um, yeah, so it's it's in a, a stage of evolution and I am, you know, very happy and keen to evolve things as I see, you know, what people are asking me for, I suppose, yeah. What was the experience like uh, winning the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award and then coming runner-up nationally and, and what has it been like being a part of that cohort of, of women? Yeah, the, the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award is an incredible program. I'm very, very honoured to have been a part of it and to have been the New South Wales ACT winner and then uh, the national runner-up. Uh, and, you know, if you look back at the alumni of that award, the, uh, the contribution that the alumni have made in rural and regional Australia cannot be underestimated. You know, there are formidable women who are the alumni. And I'm so very privileged to be a part of it because I think it's really important for us to have strong female voices uh, at the table of leadership discussions um, in agriculture. You know, we're really at a time where there are crucial things happening in the world with climate change and the economy and everything that goes with that. Uh, and we we need to make sure that there are that there are strong female voices as part of those discussions because agriculture is part of the solution and uh, you know it, it can be I think there are some remarkable times ahead. Well, I, I also really wanted to speak about you know when you first started into the industry, you said that people were quite closed. Was there some pushback because you were coming from a different industry and, and coming from Sydney? Did you find that there was some pushback? I, I sit in a in an interesting position where I'm not a we are not cow dairy farmers and we're also not meat wool sheep farmers. So, um, you know, the, the dairy farmers, the cow dairy farmers kind of look at us and raise an eyebrow sometimes and the sheep farmers kind of look at us and raise an eyebrow sometimes. But that's okay. We're happy with that. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we've pretty much earned our stripes. You know, in, in, in other ways, I think not coming from a traditional background of either dairying or meat or wool meant that we came with no preconceptions, I suppose. And um, so we certainly made plenty of mistakes along the way, but it meant that we just got in there and had a go and started from the ground up and literally built all of our processes just um, based on based on our research, as I said, and and based on um, you know just just trying things and and seeing what worked. What were some of those early mistakes, and and were some of the challenges so great that you sometimes thought, oh God, I don't know if I can do this again tomorrow? You know, I, I picture when we last spoke, you you talked to me or described having your two little boys in the shed in their high chairs eating their supper whilst you milked. What were some of those early years like and some of those mistakes? Yeah, they they were really challenging back then. I look back and think um, the way we started was, was really, really hard. So Michael was still working in Sydney and, you know, we just, I don't know, I just felt, I suppose, that I really, that we just had to make this work, which we kind of did because we, you know, <laughs> invested everything in it and we had so much sort of on the line, we just had no option 
to than to make it work. So um, yeah, I I would sort of um, bring the the children to the dairy with me, and I'd I'd make their dinner and put them in a little kind of travel pot and um, take it over to the dairy and try and race through milking. And they would have a little CD player, and they were very good actually. Looking back on it, <laughs> they spent hours in there, both of them, our two lovely boys, and they were really yeah, very much um, part of those those early years. And uh, you know, we we just did everything ourselves um, and working through uh, you know managing sheep and managing the dairy side of it as well and then going to markets you know I remember um, they, they always came to the markets with us the boys and um, I remember Michael going to the hardware shop when Darcy was I, I can't remember how how young he was he's 17 oh, sorry he's 15 now Hugo's 17 but um Darcy was you know two or something or even under and um, Michael came home and he said this kid can count and I said, oh, my goodness, really? And he had him at the hardware store and he was looking at, you know, plumbing pipe or something like that. And Darcy started saying one, two, three. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he does had grown up at the markets and, and once he could reach the cash box back in those days, you know, it was all, it was all cash. There was not really credit cards um you know he would he'd be taking money and counting money and you know I'm as much as on on one hand I think oh gosh have I you know I I do feel slightly guilty that they were involved so much um on the other hand I think look you know they know what it takes to build a small business they know what it takes to take something from the ground up and yeah I feel really proud of that I feel I feel as though we've given them some skills and things which is going to stand them in in good stead in their lives that's for sure mm. but in terms of cheese making we um you know we we just yeah cheese making is really really hard and we made so many mistakes and we had to chuck out batches of cheese and things like that and um, particularly with the harder cheeses it's very challenging and and even up to you know when we were developing Yarrawa and um, you know I remember having a batch of of sheep milk cheese and we only milk 130 150 animals so it's just not that much milk you know really it's it's pretty precious stuff and so when how you many put a cheese is that a day um so it, it does depend a little bit through the lactation but on average they give about 1.5 to 1.8 liters a day so it's you know Compared to a cow, it's sort of, you know, it's pretty valuable, valuable stuff. I mean, of course, cow's milk is as well. But, um, you know, when, you, when you've got a batch of cheese that you've waited for for, you know, five, six months and then you put a cora in the cheese and pull it out and you just look at each other and think, no, it's just, it's not there. Wow. And, yeah, we've sort of, you know, stood there with tears in our eyes thinking, you know, it's not good enough, it's got to go. So there was, there was a lot emotionally invested in it and a lot, you know, financially and things like that. But um, for us now, it's just, you know, it was so worth it. And I think that what we've built for the industry and, um, you know, Yarrawa this year won um, three trophies at the Sydney Cheese and Royal, uh, Cheese Royal um, Cheese and Dairy Show, um, three trophies including um, Champion Cheese of Show and then our Raw Milk Feta. 
um, in 2020 took out the National Delicious um, Produce Award. Wow. So, you know, to, to be here now 10 years down the track after, after sort of, yeah, those challenges is an incredible position to, to be in. But, you know, it also makes us think that now we are here. We need to do something more than just produce beautiful cheese and that is our our social license responsibility you know so it's about it's about managing the farm and the soil and it's about the um you know the the very highest welfare management of our animals um it's about the environmental impact that we have so we've just installed um a huge solar panel and battery project so we now um produce more power uh, than we utilise, which is incredible, and we can store it in batteries. Um, and, you know, so to be able to um, have that as our social licence responsibilities, that is something that we take extremely seriously. And your social licence with Dairy Cocoon, giving back to the industry that has made you. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, I do, you know, I, I think that it's a really, really exciting time in, in agriculture in Australia. And, you know, even worldwide, you know, I think we've got this um, shift towards decentralisation, you know, um, no longer is the power dominated and centralised in, in big cities. You know, if you look at media and banks and distribution, even after COVID to the sort of fundamental way in which we work day to day, you know, it's changed and these, these global disruptive trends are only going to continue. Uh, you know, so really that means that there's huge opportunities for agriculture and for regional communities um, in this country. And, yeah, it's, it's something that, um, uh, you know, technology and innovation can be at the forefront of all of this. And Australian farmers are very, very good at adapting to all of that. Um, and so to be able to start, you know, to be able to be a part of, you know, building secure rural businesses and in turn sort of thriving rural, rural communities is um it's is hugely exciting i think for australia oh, wonderful i think that's the most perfect note to end on cressida thank you so much for such a fabulous conversation i always feel very inspired speaking to you oh that's such a pleasure em thanks so much for the chat i was completely buoyed by cressida her passion for her craft and the dairy industry shines out of her. For an industry that's faced its fair share of challenges and controversy, Cressida is really striking a path for other niche, small dairy farmers who are focusing on brand and provenance. I really love her use of the quote, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think she's a terrific example of this. An enormous thank you to our sponsor for the episode, SkyMesh. Thank you for keeping us rolling. Don't forget to check out our summer issue of Grazy Her magazine in all good news agents. Or to save you the faff of finding a nearby stockist, you can subscribe online and have the mag delivered straight to your mailbox four times a year. And we have a Chrissy special. If you subscribe for two or three years, you'll receive a colourful Grazy Her 2022 diary created in collaboration with RB Sellers. Dotted throughout the diary are 600 big country events, stunning photos and super handy goal-setting sections for all those big goals you're going to smash next year. Until next time, keep well. 
This is a Grazing Her podcast produced by Manson & Company.